last week we ended with the idea that we are to pay people what we owe them. Romans chapter 13 verse 7 states, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So we are to give people what they are owed. The theme this morning is the obligation that we have to love one another. The obligation to love one another. Love is an insurmountable debt that can never be paid off. If you look at verse 8, which begins our text this morning, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. When it states that we are not to owe anyone anything, that does not mean that as Christians we can never go into debt or that we can never borrow money. The scriptures make provision for indebtedness, but it does mean that as Christians we must pay our bills and we must faithfully repay what is borrowed. We need to meet our obligations. But the basic premise is that we're to pay people what is due them and that indebtedness comes in many different forms. So it says in verse 7, pay to them what is owed them. Taxes, taxes, those that are owed revenue, revenue, respect, respect, honor, honor. What is noteworthy in our text in verse 8 is that love is an exception. We are not to owe anyone anything except when it comes to loving others. Now that seems odd when you first read that, except to love each other. More clearly stated, the NIV reads, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. That there is this ongoing obligation that we are under to uh, love one another. Uh, The church father, Origen, put it this way, and I quote, let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love. A debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full, but will never succeed in discharging. The commentator Bengal writes, and I quote, In this demand for love, Paul suggests we find an obligation that can never be discharged, a never-ending debt. We'll never be in a position to claim that we have loved enough. So why is love an exception to the rule? Why is it okay to say we're not to owe anyone anything except it's okay to owe it to people that we would love them. Why is that the case? Well, the answer comes at the end of verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, and here's the reason, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If we truly, fully, sincerely love one another in the way that the law requires of us, 
in the way that we should, then we will have fulfilled the law, it says at the end of verse 8. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. But we find out earlier in the book of Romans that we cannot fulfill the law of God. Romans 3.19 said, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. None of us fully commits or fulfills all the responsibilities of the law. Therefore, none of us loves completely in the way that we should. It's in that sense that we are under this ongoing obligation to continually be paying off this debt of love that we owe to others. Douglas Moo writes, and I quote, Christians who love others have satisfied the demands of the law. They need therefore not worry about any other commandment. We must emphasize, however, that such complete and consistent loving of others remains an impossibility. Even for the spirit-filled believer, we will never, short of glory, truly love the other individual as we should. So here's the takeaway from this first point, application. First, we will never demonstrate love the way that we ought to demonstrate love. That does not excuse us and uh, provide for us a motivation for failing to love others. Nor does it mean that we should give up trying. But it should help us to guard about complacency in our relationships or to be satisfied in where we are in our dealings with others. We can always do better. We can always be more loving than what we are. There is always room for growth. There is always a measure of greater commitment that we can manifest. We haven't arrived. Secondly, nothing will ever free us from the debt to love one another. No wrong committed against us cancels the debt. No one can do anything that frees us from the responsibility to love one another. We must continually, habitually, unceasingly love one another. That's our duty and that's our responsibility. But on the receiving end, we also can learn this. And that is, we will never be loved the way that we ought to be loved. If we want to, we can always find fault in the way in which others treat us. If we want to be overly sensitive and idealistic, we can always see ways in which people have withheld love from us that should not be withheld. But the passage is not about us and the way in which we treat us, others treat us. The passage is about how we treat others. And we must have that same sensitivity. We must have that same understanding that just as people always fail us, so too we always fail others. We should understand when people become impatient with us. We should understand when people find fault with us. And so our lives are to be lives that are committed to prayer, seeking God's help that he would enable us to love more fully, 
more completely, more sacrificially. It means that our lives ought to be filled with confession, acknowledging areas in which we have come short, asking God to forgive us, and asking other people to forgive us as well. We will always be in a debt to others to love. Then it moves to a proof that loving others fulfills the law of God. For notice verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The law that is being referred to is the commandments of God. To illustrate the point that love fulfills the law of God, Paul cites a number of the Ten Commandments. Verse 9. For, here's the proof, for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So to demonstrate that the love is fulfilling of the law, the uh, Ten Commandments are referred to. But it's not just the Ten Commandments. We're in the middle of verse 9. It says in any other commandment. So all of the commandments of God are a fulfillment of the law of God. The commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is a short way of communicating all that the law requires of us in our human relationships to each other. For notice what it says in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and the other commandments are summed up in this word or in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But that word summed up is extremely important. For it is not saying that love is a replacement of God's law. It's not saying that there are two measures or, or two standards. We have the law on one hand, and then we have the law of love on the other. These are not antithetical to each other. These are not just opposed to each other. But rather it is saying that the law is summed up. It is brought to completion, fulfillment in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This summation of loving your neighbor as yourself is a way of expressing everything that is contained in the law of God. Two demonstrations of that. First, the teaching of Jesus. Jesus is approached by a lawyer who's trying to trick him when it comes to the law. And so the lawyer says to Jesus, what is the first and greatest commandment? Jesus said, the first commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, Matthew twenty-two forty, on these two commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything that the law and the prophets has to say 
can be summed up in this simple truth. That is, you're to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And the book of Galatians says, which was our call to worship, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we find this simple application. First, love is defined by the law of God. You want to know what it means to love someone? Answer, look at God's commandments. What is the loving thing to do? How do I treat someone in a loving way? Answer, by living under the commandments and the authority of God. It is mockery to break the commandments of God and to say, I love you. We are in a greater passage section that goes back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we find out that there's a way of living that's described as the world, and then there is this new way of living, this change of heart and mind that comes by one who dedicates themselves to God through seeking to be obedient to his commands. So there's a, a distinction. Don't be conformed. Don't be molded. Don't be pressed into the way in which the world thinks, but be governed by godly thinking. And the world loves in name only. The world's love, though talked about so frequently, is quite distinct, quite different from God's description and definition of love. You see, it is quite meaningless to say to your spouse, I love you, and then turn around and lie to them. To be deceitful to be dishonest. That is not loving. It is not loving to commit adultery. It is not loving to have an affair. It is not loving to be breaking the commandments of God. Love is not to be simply an emotion or an expression. But there's to be validity to it. There's to be a, a basis to it. And so, as married couples are entered into marital vows of fidelity, of faithfulness, of the way in which they're going to respond to each other, for that is the true manifestation of love. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? This is not a teaching like so many want to make it today that says in order to love others, you must love yourself first. It's not about self-love. It's not about self-interest. And even further than that, to love one another 
is not identical to the golden rule. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But that's not a good definition for love either. For our love, our self-love, is a fallen love. The love even that we have for ourselves is marred by our own sinful desires and ambitions. If we were to love others the way that we wanted to be loved, we may want everyone to overlook all of our wrongdoings. And then understand that love is simply overlooking everyone else's wrongdoings. We may never want to be held accountable for anything that we do. And we may have this view that says, if people love me, they're just going to be supportive of me no matter what it is I do. Whatever life choice I make, they'll say, I'm here for you. That's what our world says that love is. You support people no matter what choice they make, whether they want to live in sin, whether they want to curse God and die, doesn't matter. Love supports people, period. Because many times that's the way that we want to be loved. We want people to support us no matter what our lifestyle, no matter what our choice, no matter what our desires. That's not biblical love. The way that we are to love one another as we would desire uh, to be loved must be defined by the law of God. Measuring love by our own desires is not sufficient. It must be measured by the law of God. Love must not be confused with romance. There is nothing wrong with romance. There is nothing wrong with giving your spouse, your girlfriend, flowers, candy, taking them out to dinner, dressing nice for them, writing them little notes, little cards. Romance is a good thing. But never equate romance with biblical love. Love is defined by the commandments of God. And all the flowers in the world cannot make up for a relationship in which one has been unfaithful to their marital vows. There aren't enough chocolates in the world to take away that pain and that hurt. There is no new dress that can make you automatically now more lovely and desirable in the life of your spouse. That is reserved for the law of God. That's what fosters true love. That's what brings about true commitment. That's what brings about a healthy relationship. Law, love that is governed by the law of God. Love that is in keeping with the commandments of God. So that brings us to the essence or the heart of true love. What is it then to really love one another? Notice verse 10. Love does 
no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Now, one could ask, who is my neighbor? For it says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. But to ask that question is not new or novel. <laughs> Jesus was asked that question. And he was asked that question by a lawyer seeking to justify his lack of loving his enemies. So he said, well, who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 29 says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, now you must understand that a Samaritan, by the Jewish people, were viewed as scum. Uh, they would not have any relationship to Samaritans. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you re spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among him? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So we find out that to love your neighbor means that you are to do good to all. You are to be merciful to all. You are to be kind to all. You are to be loving to all. And so you see, our text has brought us full circle. We're going slowly through Romans which has its benefits, but it also has its detractions. And one of them is that you lose sight of the bigger picture. So I want to go back and review Romans chapter 12, of which this passage builds upon. If you notice, back to Romans 12, verse 9, it says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be authentic. The real deal. And again, it's talking about genuine love as opposed to false love. Uh, the world's love. The kind that we read about in romance novels. The kind that we hear on the talk shows. The kind that is depicted on the Hollywood screen. All right? There's that love that everybody talks about out there. But don't get caught up in that love. Let love be genuine. The real article, not some false imitation, not a cheap knockoff. The real thing, let love be genuine. Then verse 9, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's what love is. Abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good. That is 
a summary statement. It starts out with loving your fellow believer, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then it moves to loving our enemies, which is doing them good, not harm. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. We are in a passage that says, don't owe anyone anything. Now it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Then verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he is hungry, feed him. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. This is all summed up in Romans 13, 10. Love does no wrong. Love doesn't seek to get even. Love doesn't pay back. Love recognizes no matter what anyone else has done to us, we are still under an obligation to love them. Whatever they've said, whatever they've acted, whatever they have done doesn't free us from our moral obligation to man and to God to not show them love. We must be loving. We don't get even for we're never even. We're always indebted to others to love them. We're always indebted to our spouse. We're always indebted to our children. Our children are always indebted to their parents. No matter what, we owe it to them to love them. Whatever you have already done, no matter what lengths you have already sacrificed, no matter how long you have put up with garbage and misery and pain, no matter how much of a saint you have been for the entirety of your life, it's still not enough. It still doesn't end. It isn't time to say, okay, it's enough. I've done enough. I quit. You never get to say that. The obligation is never over. You always owe it to love one another. This is a hard statement. And it's a hard statement because we're going to fall short. That is the universal truth. For, for if we didn't fall short, we would fulfill the law of God and nobody can do that. So we're going to fall short. But that doesn't mean we should give up or be apathetic. What it does mean is that we should be humble. We should be understanding. We should be gracious 
when people point out our weaknesses, our, our sinfulness, and not immediately seek to justify ourselves. You know, we may have done 20 wonderful things in one day, and then did one thing that is regrettable, it was wrong, it was sinful. And our spouse may overlook the 20 and bring up the one. But that's still true. The one is the one. And we need to be gracious and not justify ourselves and say, but you overlooked the 20 good things I did. No, you're right. I did this and I shouldn't have. But when it says love your neighbor as yourself, there is where we are to put our, the shoe on the other foot. And we're to learn from where we have been hurt, how we hurt others. And so when we have done the 20 wonderful things and our spouse points out the one awful thing, rather than justify ourselves inwardly, we should search our hearts and minds and say to ourselves, how often I overlook the 20 good things that my spouse has done and how often it is that I bring up the one. And as much as I don't want to be treated that way, I shouldn't want to treat them that way either. We should learn from the areas of our own hurt how we hurt others and grow by it. Again, confess it and ask God to enlarge our hearts. Pour out the love that comes from the Holy Spirit. Give us an ability that goes beyond our own limitations, our own natural makeup, our own temperament, our own personality. But rather, seeking God's help, God's enablement, God's power. It says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Love does no harm, we find out. Therefore, Again, we do not retaliate against wrongs committed us. And we don't seek to harm people in any way. First, physically. We're not trying to harm. We certainly don't beat our wives. We don't beat our children. We don't try to exasperate. We don't try to punish physically for wrongdoings against us. I'm not talking about discipline here. I'm talking about anger. I'm talking about frustration. I'm talking about trying to get even. We don't harm them physically. We don't harm them emotionally. In the words that we use, in the tone of voice, in the behaviors that we manifest, and we don't harm them spiritually by ceasing to pray for them, by alienating them, by making people feel unwelcome. 
You know, maybe somebody has done something to hurt you. Just because they have hurt you doesn't mean that you don't greet them with a smile and a handshake and express your appreciation for them being here today. Love doesn't want to see that person spiritually ruined. Love will continue to pray for them. Love will continue to reach out to them. Love will seek to heal them. The point is, for the child of God, life looks so differently than the world around us. And simple words take on incredibly different definitions. So when it talks about love, don't look to the world, look to the word of God. And when it talks about love, look to the commandments of God and say, this is the way that we love one another. By not coveting, but rather rejoicing, giving thanks, being pleased when our neighbor has prospered, being pleased when they come into an inheritance, rather than saying, oh, I wish I had that inheritance, or I wish I had that job, or I wish I had that thing. It's the commandments of God. That is loving one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to truly love one another, not just in word, but in deed. Lord, help us to be sensitive. Sensitive even in our most intimate relationships. Even in the love between a husband and a spouse. It's so easy to say, I love you. And then to treat people in a very unloving way. Lord, may our actions reflect our words. May we never stop saying, I love you. But at the same time, may we never stop acting in a loving way. And Lord, give us humility. Give us understanding. That love is a commandment that can never be fully obeyed. The responsibilities can never be fully discharged. So this morning, we don't want to just beat ourselves up. We don't want to just be so introspective that we lose sight of all things. But Lord, give us humility to admit that we're not as loving as we ought to be. And in areas where we need to be at peace with others, may we accept our area of wrongdoing and seek to be at peace. Lord, give us understanding when other people are not as loving to us as they ought to be. May we understand that people have bad days. May we understand that people are going through hard and difficult times. May we understand that others are licking their own wounds and have little that they can offer to us at this particular time. Let us love one another, even as we love ourselves. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.